for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, um, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the root of arrogance, sorry, let not the foot of arrogance come um, upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Well, it's uh, lovely to be with you this morning. So good to see so many familiar faces. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm at uh, Maidavelle, the uh, from where this church plant happened. Um, yeah, what a wonderful privilege it is. We get to open God's word together. And um, yeah, thank you to Jared, who's kindly asked me to preach. It's my second sermon ever, so <laughs> please have mercy on me. <laughs> Come chat to me after if there are any issues. Um, why don't we open in prayer together? Let's pray. Lord, please use this time to reveal your truth in our hearts. Calm our minds of the distractions of this world and speak into our lives through your word. May the words I have prayerfully considered be used for the encouraging and exhortation of your people, so that your name may be praised above all. Amen. Well, often as Christian people, we see and experience evil on a number of levels, uh, for example, on a global scale, uh, according to a Flinders University research group known as Open Doors, they did a study in 2018 where they found that a total number of 50 countries openly persecute Christians. So numbers-wise, that equates to 215 million Christians persecuted. This is where Christianity is considered illegal, forbidden, and punishable, even sometimes by death. Again, in 2022, another study was conducted by the same group, and they found that in a matter of four years, this number nearly doubled to 360 million. This is only one form of an attack against God's people. What about a little closer to home? In the West, the cultural narrative of being you and being true to yourself are pervasive. We can see this in nearly every form of entertainment and media, and what does this narrative do? The God of the universe is replaced with us. Truth becomes relative and Christians suffer. Christians can lose work, friends, family members, close relatives, all because we hold to the truth of the gospel. How do we cope with this persecution? How do you cope with this persecution? So then... Why trust God when we see and experience evil? 
Why trust him when sometimes it feels like all we see is evil? There are three important points in Psalm 36, which gives us what we need to answer these questions. Firstly, point number one, the wicked do not fear God. If you're taking notes, that'll be the one to take. (laughs) The wicked do not fear God. So let's read verses one to four together. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. To begin, we introduce two, two important things. Number one, the character of the wicked. And perhaps less obvious, number two, the fact that transgression has a voice. It speaks to the wicked one within the depths of his very being and clearly enough so that he hears its voice. By having an oracle of transgression, as is the literal translation, speaking to him in such an intense way and heeding its words, it reveals the focus of his pursuits are on his own sinful desires rather than on fearing the Lord God. It is not a case of whether God exists or not, No, it's a case of whether God matters or not. Paul in Romans 3.18 shows that the defining characteristic of sinners is the fact that there is no fear of God before their eyes. The root problem in humanity, therefore, does not come from alcohol, it does not come from drugs, it does not come from wicked deeds even. No, the root problem in humanity comes from a lack of fear of God. I'll say that again. The root problem in humanity comes from a lack of fear of God. The Lord of all power and might is ignored and therefore completely rejected. Like in Romans 3:10 to 18, we now see the outworkings of what a lack of fear of God looks like from verses 2 to 4. From verse 2, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The wicked one's willful self-deception reveals the state of his conscience, one which is steeped in what is against God, in death and in darkness. The wicked desires that which is evil and foolishly convinces himself that he is safe from the judgment of God. He knows that his iniquity is detestable, for he believes that it will not be hated if it cannot be found out. Yet, he convinces himself His evil deeds will remain unknown and unseen before heavenly eyes. I'm sure many of you have heard the argument saying, God knows I'm okay. He knows I've given money to charity. He'll let me into heaven. Or what about, I know I've done a few bad things, but I've done heaps of good things. Surely God will see that. We cannot flatter ourselves in this way. This passage shows us that the wicked knows his transgression. He knows it goes against God. How can he expect to hide what he knows from the one who knows all things? God knows every one of us more than we ever could. He knows the extent of our wickedness. Believing we have the power to convince God that we're okay in sin reveals in us a lack of fear of God. Fear him, for he knows you. 
Verse 3a, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. Having his conscience set against God, we now observe his social interactions. What he speaks to others is that of utter nothingness. His words stir up unnecessary conflict, intentionally mislead, distort, or withhold the truth. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 15, 18 to 19, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Do not make the mistake thinking that our words do not matter, for they reveal where our treasure lies. Our words show what our heart is like and whether we fear the Lord or not. In both word and deed does the wicked serve the voice of transgression. Verse 3b, he has ceased to act wisely and do good. What is implied is that at one point the wicked did do good and act wisely, but has since ceased. Like the serpent in the Garden of Eden with a voice that twists what is good, transgression tempts man with seemingly small sins. Sins which seem like they have very few knock-on effects. But once it gets its grip, we can and do lose sight of what is good and what is evil. Jeremiah 4.22, in the context of Judah's fall, God says, For my people are foolish, they know me not. They are stupid children, they have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But how to do good, they do not know. Like Judah, our judgments can become perverted, and our capability of committing evil deeds is horrific. They can have effects that last for generations to come. Verse 4, the last of this section. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. His thoughts, his will... And feelings are all corrupted. Every ounce of his being is in rebellion against God. We can see the bottomless depths of darkness in the way of the wicked. And where does this wickedness come from? By heeding the words of transgression. <clears throat> their judgment is clouded and they fear not the Lord God. They pursue their own sinful desires instead. David in this psalm is showing us that humanity by nature is in a state of rejection against God, with seemingly no way to be right with him. Back to our original question, why trust God when we see and experience evil? The fact is, we do see and experience evil and wickedness around us every day. We see it in a broader scope in terms of evil laws, and I've already mentioned large-scale persecution. In a smaller scope, we're slandered by those we know, maybe even from family members or colleagues from work. From people we should be able to trust, we are met with lies and deceit. We should want deliverance from these things. Even within ourselves, we see the effects of a lack of fear of God. Intrusive thoughts. Desires contrary to that which is good. We need refuge even from ourselves. On that note, now David, with weary eyes, looks upward in faith, and what glory does he see?
Point number two, refuge is only found in God's steadfast love. Refuge is only found in God's steadfast love. Let's read verses 5 to 6b. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. What an absolute breath of fresh air. We see a complete contrast between the character of the Lord and the character of the wicked. And what scale as well. Steadfast love and faithfulness extending upwards higher than the eyes can see. Righteousness like the mountains of God expanding across the breadth of the earth with unshakable foundations. And the immense reaches of the depths of God's judgments. What David is doing is revealing that in any and every dimension, the goodness of the character of God is revealed. The Lord is altogether lovely and altogether good. We see it in these two pairs of attributes, his steadfast love and faithfulness. He shows this through his covenant love. He's faithful to the promises he makes. And we've just learnt that the words of the wicked are full of trouble and deceit. But the words of the Lord are faithful. What he says he will do, he will do. And it's shown throughout scripture that he fulfills exactly what he promises. We can trust his words, for they are unlike the words of the wicked. His words are truth. The other pair, the Lord's righteousness and judgments, they're like the mountains of God. They're symbols of strength and power. God's righteousness is as such unmoving in its nature and the lord's judgments are not made in negligence nor are they shallow they're profound in their depth and complexity god rightly and justly decides and declares his plans and purposes verse 6c man and beast you save o lord it is within god's very nature to provide all that is necessary for life in his creation why Because he does this. We would not be here if God did not want us here. Creation is utterly dependent on God for the preservation of life. Having declared the vast and expansive goodness of the Lord, verses 7 to 9 now reveal the results or the outworkings of the goodness of his character. From a grand scale to an intimate and personal desire. Let's read. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Like David, knowing that wickedness is prevalent in the world, against the people of God and within us even, how we should desire to share in the steadfast love of God. How can we desire this if we do not fear the Lord? How can we fear the Lord if we know the voice of transgression? What we have learnt is that the steadfast love of God is shown through His covenant faithfulness. He has preserved His people throughout time and continues to do so. Genesis 3.15 God promises humanity the snake crusher, the one who will defeat evil. Who is the snake crusher? Genesis 12, 1-3. God promises Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Who is the one to bless all nations? 
The giving of the law, Romans 3, 20 and 21 tell us that the law was given to reveal that none can be saved by the law. Rather, the law pointed forward to something greater. What, or rather, who is that something greater? The covenant with David, 2 Samuel 7. God promises that a king will come in the line of David who will have a kingdom which lasts forever. Who is this promised king? Isaiah 53, 5 and 12. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Who is the one who takes the punishment for transgression all people deserve? Who is the one who allows people to share in the steadfast love of God? It is our Lord Jesus Christ. John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. The steadfast love of God is made manifest in the person and work of Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection mark the beginning of the new covenant. The only way we can know and fear God, the only way we can be right with God, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's read 7b again. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. We have a wonderful picture of a mother hen sheltering her chicks underneath her wings. Loving them, keeping them from harm, and preserving them for all that they need for life. This is both a humbling and reassuring thing. We have a protector from the onslaught of the wicked, from those who wish evil upon us and lead us in the path of transgression. Now our place of refuge in the shadow of God's wings is not one which is unsatisfying either. Verse 8 says, They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Not only are the children of God given all that is needed for day-to-day -day life, that being food, water, shelter, the wicked receive these things too. This is, therefore, different. What David is saying is that the true feast to be had is on the very word of God as it is the source of eternal life. Matthew 4.4 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. How is it that God speaks to us today, you might ask? Well, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 tell us, In these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. Everything we need for a lasting refuge is found in Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life, and your light do we see light. Out of the very being of God does he give life. We observe this in the creation account. Everything was made from nothing. We observe this in the preservation of people who live day to day. But what is lasting is eternal life found in the person and work of Christ. Who can the light of God be other than Jesus Christ? John 1.4 says, In him, Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of all men. It also says in John 8, 12, 
Again, Jesus spoke to them, the Pharisees, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. His light shines into the darkness of humanity. We do not need to hide from him as the voice of transgression tells us to. Come into the light and he will give you life. Find your refuge in the Lord by trusting him and the steadfast love of God will never leave you. So again, why trust God when we see and experience evil? God's wonderful character is attractive, is it not? Especially in contrast to the wicked, he promises and fulfills. He declares what is good and what is right. We trust him because he is good and we are not. We can have a lasting refuge and share in his steadfast love. And what's exciting, we don't need to wait. We don't need to experience it in 10 years time. We don't need to experience it in five years time, not even tomorrow. We can experience it today. We only need to trust in who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what he did, defeating death through his death and resurrection. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Only through the steadfast love of God can we have such a sure place of refuge. What about the wicked, the opposers of God? That leads me to my last point. Point number three, nothing will overcome God's steadfast love. Nothing will overcome God's steadfast love. Having seen how David reflects on the utmost value found in the steadfast love of God, he presents his requests. Verse 10, Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. It seems like quite an odd prayer that God continues his steadfast love because isn't it already steadfast? Well, yes, but assurance of steadfast love through faith in Jesus leads not to complacency and idleness. Rather, it wants to seek out more of that which is good. David has spent the first four verses of the psalm seeing how, the, how wicked the wicked can be, how they set themselves away again, in a way against God and against God's people. Of course he wants more of God's love. For his love is not some vague idea of self-assurance. No, that's how the wicked flatter themselves. Rather, God's love is a place of refuge. It is a place where mankind can enjoy him and flourish. I'm not sure if you noticed, but in verse 7, David calls humanity children of mankind. Having just charged humanity as wicked people, why has David given them a different name here? I believe verse 10 gives us the answer. There are only two groups of people in this world. Number one, those who do not fear God because they listen to and obey the voice of transgression. And number two, those who fear God, for they believe that God has sent Jesus to die for their sins. By nature, we all fall into the first category. But verse 10 shows us that there are those who know God. There are those who are upright in heart. 
How can this be? From the children of mankind, the people of humanity, God, by his grace, reveals himself and gives us his righteousness. We're no longer subject to the voice of transgression. We are no longer set against God and his people. God shows grace to those who hate him. Those in whom every fiber in their being lay against him. We don't deserve it. Yet he does it because this is the loving God of the Bible. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen, they are thrust down, unable to rise. David's prayer shows the trust he has in God's steadfast love. He trusts in the refuge it provides. Despite the opposition he faces, he prays that God will deliver him from the wicked. What is amazing is that it's as if immediately when he asks, God has already done so. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Now this does not mean every time we pray that immediately God will respond and act. He can, but that's not what this is saying. What God is showing us is that evil has already lost. We have been blessed with the full revelation of Christ, knowing that he has defeated death on the cross. Hebrews 2.14 says, He himself partook of these same things, that is flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We have an assurance that no wickedness, no evil, no death will overcome us if we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39 say, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers... Have I read that right? Yes. Nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death's fate has already been decided. The battle is won. Let me ask you this then. Where does your faith lie? Do not fear God and flatter yourself thinking that God will not know your wickedness. Recognize the fact that God is life. Fear the Lord and trust in Jesus. In conclusion, we see wickedness all around us and even in ourselves. But thanks be to God who provides the only hope of refuge found in Jesus Christ. Having the assurance that his steadfast love will never leave us, those who have faith in Christ, let's get back to the original question. Why trust God when we see and experience so much evil? With prayerful consideration, this is the answer I came up with, and one I believe we can take home with us. Despite the onslaught of evil, God, by his steadfast love, provides refuge through the deliverance found in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Despite the onslaught of evil, God, by his steadfast love, provides refuge 
through the deliverance found in Jesus Christ. It is only from Jesus that we find any form of lasting protection from the enemy. It is only from Jesus that we have all that is necessary for life. And it is only in Jesus that we are declared righteous, ready to spend eternity with our Lord. What a marvellous truth, is it not? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, keep us from the wickedness in this world. Let us not be drawn low and weary because of its presence, but like David, let us look upwards in faith and see your majesty. In fear and trembling, may we worship you. You, Lord Jesus, sit upon the throne at the Father's right-hand side. And from your throne of grace, we pray that your steadfast love continues to your people. Amen.